The subject matter of the tenth parak of Sanhedrin is Olam Haba, the world to come. And according to most, this refers to the world which we will go to after Moshiach comes and after Tchis HaMesim, the period of time where everybody will come back to life and live in this world. Olam Haba refers to the next world, which is really a world of pure closeness to the presence of Hashem. And we mentioned already that the reason, possibly, for why this Perek is put over here is for what we're about to learn in this Mishnah. That one of the people, one of the categories of people who do not merit a portion in Olam Haba is Anche Irhanidachas, members of an Irhanidachas, a city where the majority of residents served by the Zarah. And their punishment is that they are killed by the sword and the entire city is burnt down. A member of that city who was part of those who served Avodah Zarah, Elam and Chet Olam Haba, do not have a portion in Olam Haba. as the Pasuk says, whose literal translation means that uh, wicked people have gone out from among you and they have led astray residents of their city. But the way that the Torah refers to these people are b'nei v'li'ya'al. Now this word v'li'ya'al can be split into two, b'li'al, without going up. That implies that these people will not be able to rise up again. They won't be part of the Tchas when the dead people will come back to life. And therefore they also won't end up coming into Olam Haba. And now the Mishnah, as well as the next couple of Mishnahis, go into the details of what happens when there is an Irhanidachas. Be'inun residents of Irhanidachas are not killed with Saif, with the sword, which is the punishment for those who are part of Irhanidachas. In general, an individual who serves of a Zarah is punished with skila. He receives a death penalty of being stoned. However, if he's Pavian Hedachas, then he's killed with Saif. So this punishment of Saif does not apply unless the people who led the residents of the city astray and convinced them to serve a Dezorah, unless they were members of that city, they were residents of that city, and they were members of that tribe who lived in that city, that city was allotted to them, in Eretz Israel, the Ad Yudach Rubah, and it only apply if the majority of the residents were led astray, the Ad and it only applies if men persuade them and lead them astray. If it's women or children, then it wouldn't apply. And all of these, these, all of these details are learned from Pesukim, really the positive which we just brought a second ago. It has to be Mikirbecha, from amongst you, from your tribe. It has to be Anoshim, men. And the same for all of these laws. What happens if women or children were the ones who led the people of the city astray and convinced them to serve a Zarah? Or if only the minority of the city was convinced and started worshipping a Zarah? Or those who convinced them were from outside of the city. So in such a case, the city would not become Iranidachas, and those who were convinced and served over the Zorah would be treated like individuals who worship over the Zorah, and they would receive skila ha'elgarichidim. They would be considered like regular individuals who serve over the Zorah. And the next law of the Mishnah applies in all cases where you want to kill somebody, whether as an individual or as part of this larger city. We need two witnesses who also gave each person warning before they served over the Zorah not to do so, and that if they do so, they'll receive this particular punishment. And only if we have that would they be able to be killed. It's no different to any other death penalty given by Bastin where we require this. Alright, now the Mishnah adds on an interesting point. 
the following is a stringency which applies to individuals who worship by Zara over those who worship as part of the city. Because individuals are killed with the death penalty of Skila being stoned, which is considered to be the most severe death penalty. And because the Torah was so strict on their death, therefore the Torah said, their money escapes. The Torah didn't forbid their money or demand that their money be destroyed, their possessions. However, the Amarubim, those who serve over Zara as part of this large group of the city, Besayef, they receive a less severe death penalty, interestingly, of Saif being killed with the sword. But since the Torah was more lenient over here, therefore, their possessions need to be destroyed. As we'll see in the next Mishnah, the Torah says explicitly that the entire city needs to be destroyed together with everything inside of it. Mishnah hey, this Mishnah goes through the Pesukim, which talk about Irhanidachas, and explains each one of them. So one of the Pesukim says, Hake Sake Es, you shall surely smite and punish, and the puzzle goes on to say that you should kill all of the residents of the city who are guilty with the sword. And the Mishnah explains, Hachameres, a sort of convoy of donkey drivers, Vagameles, or a group of camel drivers, which is passing from one location to another location, and they happen to stay within this city for quite a few weeks. On their way to somewhere else, they stayed there, and they were in this city for at least a period of 30 days. They have the ability to save the city. What does that mean? That means that they're considered to be like residents of the city, such that if, let's say, the majority of the city, without including them, serve a Zara. But if we include them, they would actually... Um, change the balance, and it would come out that the majority did not serve over Dezara. The Mishnah is learning that they can save the entire city because they are considered to be part of the city, and that they would balance, make the majority, they would affect the majority by being counted as part of the city. Alright, the Pasuk says, You should destroy it, the city, and everything inside of it. From here the Chachomim said, The possessions of those who are righteous, who didn't serve a desire and are not being killed, nevertheless, their possessions which are inside of the city, are destroyed. Because the Torah says that everything inside of the city needs to be destroyed, and it's forbidden to benefit from it. However, their possessions which are situated outside of the city, they can escape because they're not inside of the city. However, the possessions belonging to those who are wicked, those who are being punished and killed as a result of being part of the Aranidachas, whether their possessions are situated inside of the city, and also the possessions which are situated outside of the city, they all need to be destroyed. And this is also learned from the Apostolic, which in the continuation says, and all of the spoils, everything needs to be destroyed. What's that coming to include? It's coming to include even their possessions which are outside of the city. But of course, this part only applies to those who are actually being killed and punished for worshipping Avodazara. Mishnevov. Shenemar, which in general means as the Posuk says, but over here it's just an introduction to say that we have a Posuk which says, You should gather all of its spoils, which all of its possessions really, of the city, to the town square. And that's where they're all going to be burnt. Okay, now what happens if if this particular city didn't have a town square, says the Mishnah, in order to fulfill this part of the Posuk, they should create a town square. 
Now, what happens if they had a town square where people were to gather there? Whenever the people of the city gathered together, they would gather over there. However, it was This area where they would gather was outside of the city. It wasn't inside in the middle of the city, says the Mishnah. They need to bring it inside of the city, meaning extend the walls of the city to include the town square in order to fulfill this part of the process of the procedure which is carried out within Iranidachas. And the Torah continues, You shall set fire to the city, and to all of the possessions inside of it. Kolil, totally burned up. So firstly, the Mishnah takes note of the word Shlola, all of its possessions, its spoils. Why is it saying it spoils, the city spoils? That's coming to exclude Veloishal al Shomayim. It does not include the possessions of heaven, meaning possessions which have sanctity to them. Mikan Omru, from here the Chachomim learnt, possessions which had been designated to this Hamikdash and were situated in the, in the city, Yepodu. They should be redeemed onto money, and the money should be taken outside of the city, and that money given to the Beis Hamikdash, and then the possessions will be burnt in the city. We've got a bit of a problem. On the one hand, it's forbidden to destroy things belonging to the Beis Hamikdash. On the other hand, the Torah says that everything inside of the city needs to be destroyed. So this way we can get around the problem. Redeem it onto something else, onto money. The sanctity will be transferred onto this other item, and that particular item which had been designated to the Samikdosh would actually be destroyed. Or Trumois. Truma, which is the gift given to Koyanim of the produce, and also it is, has sanctity to it, and it's forbidden to destroy. So what they should do is Yirkavu. They should allow it to rot. They can't benefit from it because it's part of the possessions of the Iranidachas. On the other hand, they can't destroy it directly, so they should just leave it on the side until it rots. Maisasheni, which is a tenth of one's produce which he needs to bring up to Yerushalayim and eat it in Yerushalayim. And this also has a certain level of sanctity to it. However, not necessarily as much as Truma, and because of that, people weren't necessarily as careful and particular to treat it with the respect which needed to be given to it. So if we were to just leave it to rot, we're concerned that people might end up disrespecting the sanctity which is within Maisasheni. And so we can't just let it to rot. On the other hand, we can't destroy it because it's holy. So the Mishnah says, Maisasheni and V'chisya Kodesh, holy scrolls, for example, Sifri Torah, all of these things, Yigonzu, they should be buried in a respectful manner because it is forbidden to benefit from them. All right, now the Mishnah takes note of what the Torah said, that everything should be burnt, Kolil Hashem entirely burnt for Hashem your God. Now this word kolil, entirely burnt, is also used by the Torah when referring to a korban oilah. One of the korbanos, one of the sacrifices brought in the Beit HaMikdash. And a korban oilah is unique in that the entire animal is totally burnt up by the Mizbeach and none of it is eaten. So why exactly are we using this phrase over here? Omar Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon said, Omar Kodesh Baruch Hu, Hashem is saying, If you carry out the judgment and procedure against Eranidachas, I will consider it as if you are offering up a korban oilah, which is totally burnt up in front of me. You're destroying this evil from the world. All right, the Torah continues, it will be a mound, sort of a pile of rubble, essentially, forever. It will never be rebuilt. 
The city can never be re- rebuilt up again. And later, also, if you do Fridaysim, it can't even be made into gardens or vineyards. That is the opinion of Rebbe Saglili. Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva says, When the Pesach says it can't be rebuilt again, It can't be rebuilt to what it was once, to be a city with real buildings and everything. I will not say see Ganesh Vardesim, but it can be turned into gardens. That's not considered to be rebuilding it. Rather, you're planting something else there instead. Alright, the Torah furthermore says, Nothing can stick with you from the destruction. Why? Because as long as wicked people are in the world, and the Gemara actually explains the wicked people are referring to people who take from the destruction. Those who will take from the possessions of the Iranidachas are considered to be Rishoim, wicked people, and as long as they're in the world, there is anger of Hashem in the world, and the world will receive punishment. All the Rishoim in when there are no Rishoim in the world, when they've been destroyed, then the anger of Hashem is removed from the world. And interestingly, the Torah is referring over here, not to the Rishoim of those who were serving Avi Zara in the city, but if you take from that which is remaining from the city, you're considered to be a wicked person. And it's forbidden to benefit from anything of that Iranidachas. Perikad Aleph, Mishnah Aleph, after going a bit sidetracked in the previous perik to talk about Olam Haba, and we actually mentioned at the beginning of the previous parak that in the Gemara, Perik Yud Aleph, the parak we're beginning now, actually appears before the previous parak which we just learned. And that order does make a bit more sense, because this parak talks about all of the Averas, for which the punishment is the final death penalty which we haven't yet discussed, and that is Chenek. Since Perek Zion, the Mishnais talked about all of the various Averas, for which the death penalty is Skila, or Sreifa, or Saif, stoning, burning, or killing with the sword. And now this final peric discusses the following people would receive the death penalty of chenek, of being strangled, for violating any of the pro- following prohibitions. Hamak of v'imai, one who hits his father or mother, the of nefesh from Israel, one who kidnaps another person who is a Jew, v'zokin mamre al a tamchachom, who is a dayan, a judge, on a beistin, who gives a ruling which goes against the ruling of the Sanhedrin the based in the Sanhedrin Agdela of 71 judges. And we'll see lots of details about that throughout the Perek. When we are Sheker, a false prophet, one who prophesizes in the name of an Avedazara, an idol, the Habal Ishis Ish, one who has relations with a woman who is married to another man, and those who testify falsely about the daughter of a Koyen, a female Koyen, who was married and committed adultery. We'll see details about that as well later on. But in short, if somebody falsely testifies that somebody else is liable to a particular punishment and he's found to have lied, then he receives whatever punishment he wanted to give to the other person. There's one exception though, which is if somebody testifies about a female Koyen who has relations with another man who is not her husband. So in this case, her punishment would be, if, if he was telling the truth, her punishment would be Sreifa, that she is burnt, whereas the person who had relations with her, his punishment is Chenek. So what happens with witnesses who testify falsely about this relationship? Do they receive her punishment or his punishment? So the mission is saying that the, these false witnesses would receive his punishment of Chenek as opposed to her punishment of Sreifa. 
So these are seven examples of things for which the punishment is the death penalty of chenek, of being strangled. And now the Mishnah goes into the details of these seven averas. First, the Amak of Imo, one who hits his father or mother, in is not liable to the death penalty unless he gives them a bruise. That it actually causes some blood, either internally, which causes a bruise, or the blood actually comes out. And if you recall, in the list of those people who are liable to skila, to being stoned, one of them is one who curses his parents, his father or his mother. So we can already see that it's more stringent to curse one's parents than to hit them, because skila is considered to be a more severe death penalty than chenek, being strangled. And the Mishnah adds, there's another stringency as well as that, when it comes to cursing one's father or mother than when one hits them. Because one who curses his father or mother once they have already died, Chayev, is liable, because that's still considered to be cursing. You're not cursing the physical body, you're cursing the person. However, one who hits his father or mother once his father or mother has already died, so there, there's not really that much significance in hitting them. It's not considered to be giving them a bruise. So in that case, Potter, who would be exempt? Alright? Hagonev Nefesh Israel, One who steals, he kidnaps another person from uh, another Jewish person. He's not liable unless he brings that person into his domain. This is learned from the Posuk, which says that the person will be found in his domain. And Rabbi Huda adds, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, He's only liable if he brings him into his domain and he uses him for something. He gets him to do something for him. Shanem, as the Pesach says, And he will use him, he will take advantage of him, and then sell him. Everybody agrees that you need to sell him in order to be liable. The question is if you also need to have him do a service for you as well or not. Continues the Mishnah, Gonimus Benoi, one who kidnaps his own son and sells him. The son of Rabbi says that the father is liable. It's considered to be kidnapping him. However, the Chachom say that he is exempt, because since anyway the son is always found in the father's domain, this is not considered to be really kidnapping him. It's not considered that you're forcing him into your own domain. He's anyway there the whole time, and therefore this is not considered to be kidnapping. What happens if somebody steals someone who is half a slave and half a free person? How would that be if, for example, two people owned a slave together and one of them freed him? So that person is now considered to be half a free man and half a slave. Now, the half which is a slave is a half which is a non-Jewish slave, which means that one would not be liable for kidnapping him. So what about this person who is half-half? Rabbi Huda Mechayev. Rabbi Huda says that someone who kidnaps him is liable. Vachom Patrim. The Chachom say that he is exempt, and once again they argue on how to learn the Pesukim.